quote from the Buddha. Enraptured with lust, enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed, with mind ensnared, people aim at their own ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief. But if lust, anger, and delusion are given up, one aims neither at one's own ruin nor at the ruin of others, nor at the ruin of both, and they experience no mental pain and grief. This is Nibbana, visible in this life, immediate, inviting, attractive, to be experienced by each wise being. Enraptured with lust, enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed. People aim at their own ruin and at the ruin of others. We can certainly see this operating in the world and in our own hearts. Yet through this sort of uh, activity this bhavana, this cultivation, this practice. We're having the chance to experience, witness, understand for ourselves how we generate conflict, distress, suffering. I mentioned that the Buddha said our heart is luminous. Or or as our teacher Ajahn Chah would say, this peace that we're seeking is not somewhere else. It's right here within us. But we overlook it when we're ensnared, mesmerized, hijacked by desires that concretize the sense of something over there that that we've got to get to, that generating the reality that we believe of impoverishment here, that it's not here, that leaning to, to the next moment, overlooking the jewel, Or believing that uh, no, it's not here. Can't be here with this aching back, this petty mind, this grumpy mood. And so we're so busy getting rid of something, imagining that then we'll, we'll get to happiness. The root condition for, for all suffering, the, the Buddha said, is avijja. Vijja means to understand, to see clearly. A, the prefix a, means not, not understanding. It's a kind of blindness. It's, it's the ground from which all the distress, all the suffering, all the conflict comes out of that. And the medicine that we're cultivating, aligning with, learning to shift our center of gravity to that 
timeless buddhic principle, that awareness. That's the medicine. Awareness illumines. Last night, uh, Jaya beautifully laid out, profoundly laid out these the the gateways back home to to our, to our true nature by talking about the three characteristics that the Buddha mentioned again and again: anicca, dukkha, anatta. Ah, nicha. Nicha means permanent, solid, stable. Ah, nicha. The prefix ah, not permanent. Dukkha. Du means apart from ka, from the root akash, perfection. It not, not perfect. Or we we imagine when we don't understand that we've got something and then if it changes, we think we have it, it dissolves. Dukkha is is a it's not easy to bear. It comes out of Anicca. As Jaya was mentioning, these are keys. Special keys that unlock, but they seem so simple. I mean you know, if we right at the first day of the retreat, if we, you know, passed out a multiple choice questionnaire, is your, you know, is the temperature permanent or impermanent? <laughs> impermanent. <laughs> is your bank account permanent or impermanent? <laughs> impermanent. <laughs> you know, is your weight permanent or impermanent? <laughs> is your skin permanent or impermanent? We would all get it. But it seems so obvious. So what? I mean, okay, we got that. Now let's go to the deep stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The first Dharma talk I gave in uh, South Africa, we were invited to a group and we we sat down in this little room in in a, a really burly turns out he's quite friendly, but he t- intimidated a bit. Burly guy walks in with his big gun on his hip and kind of sits down. And uh, uh, right there near the front, there's another gun. And, uh, you know, I led a meditation, gave a Dhamma talk, and then, you know, with, with, with indignation, at the end he said, And what about emptiness? I didn't say it, but I, I was thinking, that don't sound very empty. <laughs> uh, but I, I breathed and, and, and was uh, encouraging him, like Jaya was pointing out, that the, my whole talk on impermanence was the key that unlocks all the profound understandings of not-self and emptiness. opens the door. We have a notion of karma, of activity, and, and, and when some, an auspicious activity, uh, what I mentioned on the first night called punya, what the Buddha calls blessing or, or meritorious deeds, deeds that, have a, that ripen in happiness that lead to what is wished for, you know, good karma, like a seed that flowers into a fruit. Or some sort of seeds, when we, when we do a deed that's kind of rooted in, in aversion, it can ripen into a painful fruit, hurtful one. But the, the auspicious, the meritorious, the, the blessed things uh, that we do flower 
into happiness, into what is wished for. So the Buddha was talking about that and saying, well, you know, if someone made offerings of gold and silver and food and shelter and medicine for all, he said, would that be meritorious? Yes, Lord. Uh, Beautiful generosity generates that. And the Buddha went on then to talk about even one little offering when, when you offer something to a wise person, one's connecting to that mandala of clarity, of, of uh, kindness, of compassion. One resonates with that, it's linked with that, becomes influenced by that, that's even more fruitful. And then the Buddha talks about, well, you know, he, he, but even if you, then if you give to, you know, someone that uh, really profoundly knows the truth, you're hooking up to that power. It's even more uh, fruitful. But then he, he goes on like that, even offering to a Buddha or, or offering, you know, building a uh, monastery and making offerings to a lot of seekers of the truth, very meritorious. But then he talks about someone who has with a trusting heart made the determination, the deeper commitment to take refuge, to make important, as we have been doing this week. Make important returning to awareness, to the Buddha, to that which is awake, that knows the world of in-breath and out-breath and happiness and suffering and peacefulness and distress when there's really taking refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, when there's that sincere effort to train ourselves in these gifts that we started on the opening night, we started, remember, this retreat with the gift of not harming. Looks so passive, making the determination not to harm, but actually there's an emanation from this very place of a big gift for a world that's on fire in many respects. We're offering to immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression when we give up harming, taking what's not given, exploitation, false speech, seeking nibbana through intoxication. That that is, the Buddha said, very fruitful, very meritorious. It, It is a karma, an activity that ripens Then the Buddha spoke that. But even having a mind of kindness for the time it takes to pull the udder of a cow. Now, I have to confess, I've never pulled the udder of a cow. But from what I can read and witness, it's not long, you know. (laughs) You know, even a moment's kindness. And this is interesting. What, 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 wait a minute. What's he going on about there? You know, when the heart, which can get so separative into this and that, for a moment of kindness, the heart opens up and welcomes. It expands. It's not just me, mine. It opens up and includes. Very, very, it's a clue. Interesting. And then the Buddha said, even more than all those offerings and often to Buddhas and saints and sages, even kindness for that period of time it takes to pull the udder of a cow. It's even more fruitful. Then the last phrase of this whole discourse, when, you're, when he's contemplating activity that blossoms into good fortune, he says, holding in the heart the, the perception of impermanence even for a finger snap. It's even more fruitful than all of that before. When Jaya was talking about the key, this connection with, living experience of, not just, oh yeah, I know that, experiencing the changing nature, even for a moment, huge, 
Whoa, 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 why? The heart that doesn't know impermanent keeps concretizing, making real and solid all sorts of things like success, you know, when we, we, we get there, we rush to get there, health. It seems so, so, so real. We've, we've got it and, and then we lose it and then, then we keep moving to, to get there imagining that we can grasp and secure happiness and success and praise, peace, until we really understand change, it's always just on the horizon. We're going to get there. But when uh, Jaya was uh, just opening the door to even this body last night, the language makes it sound like a thing. My body, this body. It's a good body or not such a good body. But when we come close with our attention, To the actuality, though, though the conceptualization makes it a thing, sounds like a thing, when we, through our relationship with this body and noticing it's expanding and contracting, breathing, never the same for a moment. And whatever we give attention to this this body, vibrating, tingling, heat and cool, heart, beating, swelling and subsiding. That's this inner form, outer form of all the changes in your bodies, Changes in the light, the moisture in the air, the extraordinary, clear, crisp, cool, cold air, this luminous moon coming up. That's just in form. The dawn, the midday, the dusk, not to mention sounds. You might have an idea about the Dharma talk. Oh gosh, I really look forward to the Dharma talks. So, oh my God, how long will it go? You might have an opinion about the Dharma talks, but if one, they sound like a thing, a talk, but if one comes close, It's like that net Jaya was talking about last night. If one club gets close to a Dharma talk, it's full of holes. <laughs> it wells up and then subsides. Sounds coming and going. So the actuality of this moment is light, sounds coming and going, interwoven with impressions, tingling sensations, a body that is pulsing, shifting, interwoven with thoughts and impressions of pain and pleasure and liking and not liking. The actuality if we're not so beguiled by language that, that's talking about, no, it's the Dharma talk and it's, uh, it's yes, it's Wednesday, it's uh, November 25th and we only have a certain number of days and Kitty's talk and we ought to get some insights going here. <laughs> what about emptiness? 
But we notice that even that what about emptiness comes and goes. So as we get close to this moment, it's, it's a cascading, like a waterfall. Now, if, we get, if you get close to a waterfall, one can be in awe of it. Can you grab it? Can you own it? We can call it my waterfall. It's on my property. One of the best waterfalls around. When it rains, of course, we've got to get some rain going. We can call it my waterfall, but what does that mean? We can call it my body. Just go try to grab a waterfall. So as one, if one really honors, experiences ahnicca, then, then there's a shedding of, of, a, of, of the notion that there's something really solid here to get. That's powerful. That's why even a moment of that puts a hairline fracture in this, this wrong understanding of there being things that we can really own and possess. Once there's, when there's really recognizing the nature of change, then, then weariness, a skillful weariness starts to set in. It's called, the Buddha called it nipita, means a world weariness, which is not a, he didn't pathologize it. He said, no, that's a, a, it's, it's a recognition that we've been looking in the wrong place, imagining we're going to get there to, to happiness, to, to success. To, it keeps dissolving. There's the, the habit might still be there, but we're starting to realize we've been grasping at waterfalls, mirages. Once one starts to see change, to recognize it, dispassion starts to set in. A skillful dispassion, a fading. Sangsara is when we just keep imagining we're going to get there. If we just keep going quicker, faster, harder. Therefore, Ajahn Chah, one of the things he said again and again, our, our Thai teacher, Thai master, said, if you look for certainty in that which is uncertain, you're bound to suffer. Looking for certainty, you know, imagining we're, we're, we're going to get hold of something. Uh, Nietzsche, another translation, is not certain. Sometimes the, this path is called the Great Return. When we're imagining there's some place really to get to, we keep running as we start to see change, recognize it. How can one really hold it? Then we start to let be and let go, realize we've been looking way too far away. What I read at the very beginning If lust, in other words, if desire, grasping, aversion, delusion are given up, this is Nibbana. 
this brightness, this peacefulness. We overlook it when we're so busy thinking we're getting somewhere. The great return is in honoring the nature of change, honoring that it is to look for certainty in that which is uncertain. As Ajahn Chah would say, it's, it's like boxing with a tree. It's just going to wear ourselves out. It's, it's like when the moon's coming up and we think, oh, that's so beautiful. Wow, it's amazing. Wouldn't it be nice if the moon was always full? I mean, it's so beautiful. That's... Wouldn't it be nice if everything was nice? <laughs> no, but it's... But that's a child. That's all right. There's nothing evil about that. But wanting the moon to always be full, the moon waxes and wanes. It gets cold, it gets warm. It would be like wanting just the in-breath. You know, Kitty saw the in-breath is fresh. <laughs> it's inspiring. It's vitalizing. Outbreath stale. Yuck. Let's, let's just go up with the in-breath. Is that what your teaching is? Just breathe in. But that, that's... Or one of Ajahn Chah's famous ones. He said it's like going up to a duck and saying, Why aren't you a chicken? Look, ducks are all right, but quack, quack, quack. You could wake people up in the morning. Think of the karma. Just go for it. Wondering why a duck is not a chicken. But that's what we're doing all the time, wanting happiness to stay happy, wanting confidence to, to I've got it now. Wanting health to always be there. It's looking for certainty in that which is not certain. It's, it's asking conditions to be what they cannot be. So in, in recognizing that, the, the, the honoring the letting be, the relinquishing, allowing things to be what they are. The Buddha from the Sharangama Sutra, the primary misconception about the body and mind is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. You do not know, he says, that the physical body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth, all are within the wonderful, bright, true mind. The primary misconception about the body and mind is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. Oh, it's some little chemical reaction. We might think that. He says, you do not know that the body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. Isn't it the case that this Wednesday evening is appearing Dharma tall to this mind, the sense of our body, the actual experience of our body right now? So we feel the pressure of the posture. sensations is appearing, manifesting within this mind. Our experience, what we can possibly know of this earth, 
those around us appearing in the mind. When through conceptualization, through what the Buddha called papancha, when our conceptualization, which, which is tainted with delusion, we have all this cascading data of sensory input, but when the mind then turns it into me and you and here and there, it concretizes, generates a separative consciousness, a world fragmented with all these things, and we locate ourselves somewhere. Then when it changes the feelings, we create time and the sense of birth and death. We get so focused on form as big me and mine and you and yours. We get focused on it. We lose touch with the fact that all these forms are resonating right now within this background of awareness. We get so focused on being identified with them, some worried thought comes and then we become worried. That's me. Some thought of, oh gosh, it's been hopeless. Everybody else, everybody's having all these insights. One after the other, they're having insights. I hear it in my group. And I don't have any true nature. It probably wasn't even passed out to me. <laughs> and so we're, we're, we're mesmerized. I mean, I laugh at it, but it's poignant. These, these thoughts we believe, we can harm ourselves, we can harm others. The Buddha said, it's like ignoring hundreds of thousands of clear, pure seas and taking notice of only a single bubble seeing it as the entire ocean, as the entire expanse of great and small seas. When we start to notice change, there's the possibility of, yes, still being in touch with truly conditions that come and go, but we start to get the feeling for the heart, the fact that there's a coming and going within a presence, an awareness. It was mentioned that the, the four ennobling truths the Buddha taught about suffering and the ending of suffering. When we don't understand change, then we take something to be certain. Me and mine, we lean on it. That's called birth. Then when it changes, we feel unsteady, falter, fall. That's called aging and death. Then seeking stability somewhere else and grasping onto pleasure or to success or to praise, and then as that changes, we, we keep shaking. It's like if I'm exhausted and I think, gosh, we got a long way to go to that teacher's thing. That's a long way. I and mean, There's some cars parked on the way and I'll just lean on one to get a little rest. <laughs> if they go and pull that thing out while I'm leaning on it, I fall down. We're leaning on, it's, it's called becoming, when we lean on. Imagining, it's just as, as if we were leaning on that full moon, wanting it to stay full, and then, then when it wanes, oh dear, how long till it comes back? looking for certainty in that which is uncertain, we generate distress. Relinquishing that. One can wake up to what has always already been here. After the Buddha gave his first teaching on the four ennobling truths, the four noble truths, 
It's suffering rather than being hated or ashamed of. It just needs to be open to. Open to that experience. Deepening our capacity to be authentic and human. And then there's the possibility of recognizing how we're asking ducks why they're not chickens. How we're squeezing conditions, wanting them to be what they can't be. We do that to our partners, to our loved ones. How can a condition, something that is in its manifestation, essentially ephemeral, offer what we're wanting? We choke ourselves, choke each other. After the Buddha gave that teaching on suffering and the cause of suffering being clinging, the clinging that needs to be let go of. And he talked about the noble truth of the ending of suffering, the third truth that needs to be tasted, experienced by each of us. And the fourth truth, this path leading to the end of suffering that is, needs to be developed, this path of ethical living and and the, and the skill of meditation, what we've been doing, this mindfulness and samadhi training, and this insight practice, this wisdom illuminating the way things are, this path that leads to the ending of suffering needs to be developed, which is what we're doing. The Buddha gave this first discourse. At the end of it, one of his disciples understood. And the Buddha could see. He said, ah, Kandanya knows. Kandanya. He, he called him Anya Kandanya, the one who knows. And then the Buddha said, he knows what arises, ceases. You think, whoa, 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 wait a minute, something must have been left out. <laughs> it's like we started the power of impermanence, that everything that comes, goes. Comes, goes. And that Kandanyo's Dharma eye opened. He tasted this luminous brightness, this original brightness, this, the Buddha, in our chanting, the qualities of the Dharma, we say it's Sanditiko, it's always here and now. It's a Kaliko, it's timeless, it's not just on a good day. It's not just when our Jupiter's at mid-heaven. It's not just when all the stars are perfectly aligned. That the true nature is timeless. It's not bound by, you know, just on Wednesdays or full moons. We chant the quality that the Dhamma is always of inviting us. Ehi pasiko, we chant in the mornings. Ehi means come see. It's inviting us. But we don't see what's here all the time when we are so busy looking for certainty in that which is uncertain, moving towards something or pushing something away. So Kandanyo saw what arises ceases and he, and he shared uh, later in a different discourse the, the image that helped him understand that. He called it guest dust. He said when a traveler stops at a lodge, maybe for the night or for a meal, they stay for a while and then they move on. The guest does not remain. The host stays. The guest is that which does not remain. Dust. Kandanyo one day saw, and we've all seen it, a beam of light come through a window and he saw the dust dancing. In the beam of light, the dust, it moves, it dances, that's what it does. The space was serene, undisturbed. The dust moves and dances. The space is undisturbed. Wanting the dust not to dance, that's 
That's crazy. Wanting conditions, that's the nature of thoughts and conditions and feelings, is they're always dancing. It's like guests coming and going. But what remains? The more we honor change, we see every sound coming and going, merging back. Remember all phenomena, all forms, the body, the earth is all arising within this bright mind. So the sounds are doing what they should do, change and dissolve back into. Can we ponder what remains? What is still? Vimutti sarasa bedama amato gadasa bedama. Nibbana pariyosana sabedama. Freedom is the essence of all conditions. Wisdom, Tanisra was mentioning this Mula Sutta, this discourse on roots. Wisdom overcomes all conditions. And when we wisely see that conditions are changing, if we want them to be a certain way, we're going to create distress. But if we realize what moves, that's what it's doing, we'll realize that what's moving is just being itself. And we'll notice the stillness and spaciousness of the heart that it's happening in. Amatogadasabedama means all things merge in the deathless. What does that mean? All things merge. All this sense of separation, you and me and here and there and good and bad and horror and heaven and hell, all things are inseparable. They merge in that which never dies. It's just an analogy, but it's a little bit like just focusing on the surface of the land and notice the the, the trees that we like. I don't know the names of all the trees here. They're the indigenous ones, the invasive ones, the evergreen ones, the ones that lose their leaves. But we can... Oak trees and pine trees and eucalyptus trees and we can... the big ones and strong ones and one that we like. But all... where do all things merge? The trees draw from their roots, the moisture. One goes down into the roots. Yet if a tree doesn't have roots down into the earth, it's, it's dead. It becomes like all the leaves or branches that fall off merge back into the ground. So if one goes really down into the roots, the oak tree, the pine tree, the eucalyptus tree, the large, the small, there's that place where you can't distinguish anymore. They merge when the heart is only preoccupied with the surface, then we see these thoughts, these forms, separation. But when we notice, contemplate change, we realize every sound, every separate sound keeps dissolving into this ground of listening. Every sensation. Similar to the waves, you can notice scary waves, good waves for surfing, ones that are a bit more scary, little ripples. Perception can designate them as apparent things and we can overlook the fact that these so-called separate waves are all part of one substance. 
in the depth of the ocean. When we start to allow conditions to reveal their changing nature, we start to notice every sound, every perception, every thought merging back into silence. what remains. So we've been looking too far away. The Buddha said this ending of suffering is to be experienced. We might think, oh, I couldn't possibly. I mean, Nibbana, that's only for who? That's for the, the great ones. Our teacher would say, well, the Buddha wouldn't say it's here and now, always inviting us if it was impossible. He wouldn't teach us this if it was impossible. That in a moment when we're not grasping, and not rejecting in a moment of honoring that what comes, goes. The dust dances, the conditions move, and in letting whatever arises, ceases, we have the opportunity to notice that ground, that unmoving, ever-present stillness. cultivate. In our monastery we practiced shifting our attention and for tonight and tomorrow morning I'm going to encourage us to practice like this. Practice giving ourselves the opportunity to taste this moments of ending suffering. Noticing when there's suffering but we can easily overlook moments when there's not suffering. He said, usually we're so focused on forms, who's here, who's not here. Our teacher would encourage us to notice the space that makes all form possible. So not just focused on the bubble, on the thing, but realizing that all forms happening within space. Similar with sound, we're focused on the sounds we like, the thoughts we like, we believe them but just to widen our gaze, our contemplative gaze, to notice that every sound, every thought, arises and merges back into a living silence. Just as space is the form, and silence is the sound, so is awareness to all phenomenon. Just to notice we're surrounded by vast unmoving space. We're not denying the forms, but forms come, go, dissolve in this space. The sounds, especially our inner thoughts, Noticing, rather than thinking the silences, like on radios, they don't like silences, fill them up, fill things up. But in this practice, we're going to notice the ending of sounds, the ending of things, contemplating cessation. Especially the ending of thoughts,
noticing how every thought keeps dissolving back into listening. The Buddha taught that actually all of our experiences are like bubbles. When we look at a bubble on a river, we can see the colors and it's amazing, it can be awesome, but then pop, it's gone. It's empty. Thought can come in and try to capture and say, see, there it is. It exists. And then it pops. And someone else says, see, it's empty. It doesn't exist. And it appears. It does. It doesn't. When we so beguiled by our thoughts to want to capture things, we can endlessly argue. But conditions are such that bubbles appear and shift and change. Hence the Buddha said, this dharma cannot be described. This reality is mysterious. It cannot be captured. Words fall silent before it. So practicing, making peace with the arising and ceasing of a breath, noticing as we befriend change that all this change is happening within a stillness, just widening, not only honoring the change but opening the heart to the, that which remains. Which is always bright, which the Buddha called the deathless, the harbor, the safe, the blessed, the everlasting. He said different words, but this amazing nature this sacred nature where all things merge, where all things find their homecoming. That's what the last line of the Mula Sutra, Nibbana Pariyosana, means all things are completed, all things are finished, all things are fulfilled in Nibbana. So practicing letting every sound, every thought, I'm happy, I'm not happy, I'm getting closer, I'm getting farther. I've got it, I should have written it down, I knew I should have written it down. I can't believe I didn't write it. I had a pen and then I, we're supposed to be practicing precepts, but I think somebody might have taken my pen. And then letting the, the, all, every thought, when I first realized we don't have to be afraid of the thoughts, just let everyone keep dissolving that this peaceful nature is always inviting us. So let every thought dissolve and mind that space. As our teacher would say, mind the gap. Be interested in the spaces between thoughts, in that thoughts are vibrating and changing. And give ourselves the opportunity to taste moments of peace. And when we're not peaceful, rather than hating that, this is dukkha. As Ajahn Chah would say, if it was so bad, the Buddha wouldn't call it a noble truth. We don't need to be ashamed of it. We open ourselves to that experience. Once when Ajahn Chah was on alms round, the morning alms round, he was walking along and there was a big boulder in the rice paddy. And he said, Is that boulder heavy? He 
the disciples were thinking, well, yes, Venerable Father, it's very heavy. And he said, nah. He said, it's not heavy unless you try to lift it. So that's when we're wrestling with ducks, wondering why they're not chickens, or we're that painful back, we're thinking it shouldn't be there. But just in a moment, when we let the boulders just be boulders, the feeling just be the feeling, the worry, the thought, the condition, whatever it is, just to be what it is as it's vibrating, shifting, and even a moment of noticing change, we're in line with the Dharma. We can have that moment of noticing non-suffering, the peacefulness of being in tune with how it is. So giving the Buddha the last word, a young student approached the Buddha named Kappa. He said to the Buddha, Sir, there are people stuck midstream in the terror and the fear of the rush of the river of becoming and death and decay overwhelm them. For their sake, sir, tell me where to find an island. Tell me, where is there solid ground beyond the reach of all this pain? Kappa, said the Master, for the sake of those people stuck in the middle of the river of becoming, overwhelmed by death and decay, I will tell you where to find solid ground. There is an island an island which you cannot go beyond. It is a place of no thingness, a place of non-possession, of non-attachment, letting go. It is the total end of death and decay, and that is why I call it Nibbana. There are people who in mindfulness have realized this, and are completely cooled and at peace here and now. They do not become slaves working for Mara, for death. They cannot fall into his power. Thank you for your attention this evening. Those who have the energy, there's a short period for walking and then a a final sitting and sharing of uh, blessings.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.